Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Porrick Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hi Porrick, we are back on other ends of a phone again. Yeah, I'm in Tullamore for the weekend and you're still in Dublin. I am. In our inverted commas studio, i.e. my bedroom. I was going to say your apartment, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the apartment, to be fair, is our whole recording studio. It's the edit room, it's post-production. And that's a peek behind the curtain, people. And for those of you who want to get back out from behind the curtain and just want to listen to the podcast, don't forget, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, Acast, Spotify, Stitcher. And we really appreciate when you guys like and subscribe to the podcast. And this week, there is a better reason than ever to do so. Isn't that right, Porik? Yeah, this week we're going to have a special episode previewing the upcoming uh, November International Fixtures. With some very special guests, but you'll hear more about that this week. But back to this week, we're going full-blooded into November Internationals after last week's soft launch. But first, as always, we're going to take a look at the news from the rugby world. Yeah, and my favourite story this week is undoubtedly the little window we got into the South African coaching team's mentality. Tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> so Razi Erasmus and Jack Ninavar were seen doing a tackling drill, the uh, the goal of which was to try and smash people as high as possible, nicely poking fun at the outcome of last week's England game. Oh, it was just hilarious. I think that officially broke the rugby internet. It was everywhere and world rugby were just getting what's the comment what's your comment and they're like, we are not commenting on people laughing at us on the internet that's not going to start happening because that's what smart people do not the worst call they've ever made speaking of excellent calls midi olympique have announced their world player of the year yeah fair play it was awarded to conor murray and it was great to see him get such recognition yeah and i wonder is it in part because there's 200 french clubs trying to sign him for next year so it's a little bit of a love bombing but you know what he's he's had a great season he's a standout player in his position still for my money the best nine in the world so nice to see him recognized though here connor here's an award and some money well somebody else who looks like they've got money in their sights is Stuart hogg who has announced that he's not going to be continuing with glasgow next season likelihood that he's going to be moving to the Premiership or to the top 14. What other league is there for him to go to? Well, he could go down to the Southern Hemisphere, I suppose. Fair. But he wouldn't earn as much money. (laughs) No, they definitely wouldn't be a money move. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's going to be a huge loss for Glasgow, though. He is so instrumental to everything good they do. Yeah, it's just as well they do have uh, young Adam Hastings coming through, who seems to have a bit of that lunatic creativity. Might just about uh, fill that gap in some way. And in the final piece of news this week, the Irish provinces will be sending their A-teams over to America for a series against the New England Free Jacks. Yeah, this is a really interesting uh, fixture. So the New England Free Jacks, who are a new franchise coming to Major League Rugby in the US from 2020, are spending their 2019 season playing exhibition games, getting ready, but really looking forward to this. So I think they're going to be coming over here to play as well. And then the Irish provinces will be spending some time over in Boston, where the team are based. Longest preseason ever. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the anti-Southern Kings approach. So we'll move on to the main action of the weekend. In November Internationals, there was a ton of games and... Italy v Georgia kicked everything off. This was a kind of an interesting one, not necessarily for the game itself, but to see if there would finally be an answer to whether Georgia should be in the Six Nations instead of Italy. And 28 points to Italy, 17 to Georgia. No, they should not. Yeah, Italy just controlled the game for 60 minutes. The odd time Georgia got their hands on the ball and went through phases, they got points. And as you can see, they are dangerous. And they weren't a stereotypical Georgian team. They're really throwing the ball around and trying to create and exploit space out wide. 
Yeah, and what was particularly strange was the fact that the Italian pack seemed to be bullying Georgia in a lot of those tight exchanges, which is the opposite of what you'd expect. Yeah, and I was watching this with Georgian commentary, which was hilarious as well, just to really add to the whole thing. The term bias, I don't think, is used in Georgia because they were so biased it wasn't even funny. Yeah, so it's a bit like watching games on S4C then, was it? Yeah, pretty much. There was a couple of little things that jump out really from just looking at the Pro 14 and players from the Italian team who've carried their form into the international arena. Tommaso Allen, just really good transition and moving his team around very effectively. Yeah, I think Italy in general looked a better drilled team at one point in the second half they went down to 14 men they didn't concede shades of benetton they've taken the good form for the pro 14 up to international level there is more improvement to be made i think if you look at the game as a whole georgia's handling was very poor if they were actually able to hold on to the ball a bit more and actually do a lot bit more with it i'd say they would have given italy more trouble still for italy a much improved result on last week with some of their top players coming back in yeah and it's something they needed at 28-17 they've kind of for now put to bed that they should be in the Six Nations you know what they do have an interesting chance next week against Australia that could be a very competitive game given how bad Australia are and how much I'm sure Conor O'Shea wants a win over them yeah you're right and speaking of teams that are trying to prove a point Scotland kicked off next v Fiji and they came out 54 points to 17 on top that was comprehensive comprehensive but it's funny for the first 30 minutes there was only a couple of points in it but Fiji just didn't seem to be able to keep their organization and keep their discipline and having kind of been within a couple of points after a half an hour just before half time the situation is as follows Scotland are camped on Fiji's line Fiji are down to 13 men because they have two players yellow carded and Scotland just start putting in tries and they came out in the second half and absolutely obliterated them. And it was such a shame because that opening half hour today was incredible and the tries being scored were unreal. What Scotland were doing well was they were a little bit more structured and organised and Fiji were just doing Fiji things. Like Bill Mata, Semi Radradra and Nakarawa at the heart of all of it. They were just throwing the ball around and their counter-attacking when Scotland did turn over the ball was electric. They don't need to be asked twice to go for the try line. No, they certainly don't. And I think they also had a little bit more of an opportunity. Scotland were still a bit rusty after the Wales game last week and their defending was a little bit ropey. But they came out after half time and it was just the Finn Russell show. He was moving players around wherever he needed them to be. Scotland were patient and they just made the space. If you look across the team, Jamie Ritchie was superb at the breakdown for Scotland and Tommy Seymour was just showing why he's a lion. A hat trick and Let's be honest, it could have been more. Easily. I mean, Peter Horn just absolutely butchered a two-on-one and forgot to pass to see more outside him, which I'd say won't have been well uh, won't have been well received. But th- there were things to work on from Scotland's perspective as well. I think their line-out wasn't quite as secure a possession as you'd like it to be. And the defending in the first half will have been a worry, but certainly a vast improvement on the game last week. And definitely sets them up well for the rest of the series coming up against a very physical South African team next week and speaking of physical encounters England v New Zealand what a game manky conditions absolutely disgusting but you know what New Zealand just got absolutely blown off the park in the first 10 minutes England were all over them yeah you're right but it really wasn't enough like New Zealand came out on top 16 points to 15 and they deserved it really over the course of the game they just created more and England didn't score after the 25th minute like that's just not good enough for international level no and particularly against the team like New Zealand who you know are going to be able to get points later in the game England just I don't know whether they ran out of puff or whether New Zealand just kind of organized one of the big turning points in the game for me was 
when Crotty came on for Sonny Bill Williams, I thought he completely transformed their ability to play in the centre. He's such a complete player versus Sonny Bill, who is electric, but just isn't as reliable. Yeah, once they started kind of clicking properly, the tries came. Well, their first try did anyway, off the back of that scrum. Yeah, Underhill just not getting off the side of the scrum quickly enough and a, a good overlap generated by quick hands and running lines. And Mackenzie just comes in for the try. Which And think about the timing as well, right before half time, Like the one time you don't want to concede scores. And then you see him go and score a penalty just before the, the halftime whistle as well. Yeah, and then Bowden Barrett, it turns out, he can kick a drop goal. Turns up with one five minutes <laughs> into the second half. Uh, and in probably the worst ever conditions for a kicker. And Owen Farrell got one in the first half as well. Like, what were they trying to prove a point? Maybe Bowden and Barrett heard rumours that sexist drop goal v France is effectively getting player of the year. That he's gonna try. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure anything you can do, I can do better. It's funny though, because Bowden Barrett in a lot of games like this is the standout player. He definitely wasn't today. I mean, his goal kicking was better than usual, or better than it can be. But Richie Mwanga actually looked a little bit more organised when he came on in the second half. Yeah, he played really well. His passing was crisp and his running lines were incredible. He just looked more threatening than Barrett did and Barrett was quiet. Well, he he certainly wasn't quiet on that nearly a try for Underhill. Bloody hell, what was he doing? Like, he got turned inside out by a seven and badly. Luckily, the refereeing team came to the rescue with uh, Laws being deemed offside. That was a correct call, but I've never seen the offside line referee <laughs> quite that well. That precisely ever what's funny because there was no England player in that ruck if they hadn't thrown the big wobbler and changed all the ruck laws like two years ago because of Italy that um, that would have been a try yeah I'm so glad it bit them in the arse. <laughs> so glad. So, so glad. But you know what? England had a couple of chances to win that game at the death, or, or at least to not lose it, and just rushed it a little bit. Laws with this wild offload that Slade then fired in touch. It was, it was probably a closer game than it needed to be, though, at that stage, because England's bench were awful. Like, the line-out fell apart when Jamie George came on. Laws was brainless. And Ashton looked a lot more dangerous than Noel when he was on the pitch. So I, I just don't think that they got this right. And that's before we get to Danny Kerr, who spent more of his time trying to buy a penalty than actually play the game. Yeah, the only sub that actually kind of showed they were worth anything was Ford when he came on. England seems a bit more zip about them in that sense. I think I think Jamie George wasn't really helped by the fact that Brody Vitalik seemed to have just woken up in the second half and decided that the ball was his regardless of who was throwing it in. I've never seen a team on a defensive line out get ball and make it look like it's their own. Peter O'Mahony does it a lot, but <laughs> him and Brody Vitalik appear to be the two best defensive line out jumpers in the world right now. Oh, but his reading, like he was always ahead of them. Like it wasn't like a scrappy jump. He was like, no, no, I'm just going to be ahead of you and know exactly where you're going to put the ball. But you know what? In a game where New Zealand were only in the lead for 20 minutes, and that was the last 20 minutes, it just goes to show champion teams know how to win games like that. Well, let's be perfectly honest, they butchered four golden try opportunities. They should have had it wrapped up by that point, to be honest. Um, Mackenzie, just, that could well be his last game in a New Zealand shirt. He dropped so much ball. Like, I know he got a try, but he should have had two or three. And, and at one point, Savea overran and two on one and the ball got passed behind mm. him. Like, it's stuff like that, that you expect New Zealand to execute perfectly and that was off. And if they fix those execution issues next week, yikes. Well, you know what? Moving from a game that was close but very exciting to the pretty much 
opposite levels of enthusiasm. Wales against Australia in the Millennium Stadium and Wales at least managed to get a win for the Northern Hemisphere. Nine points versus six. I think this might have been the single most boring game of international rugby in modern history. Like you get people saying, oh, it's a game for the purists. It's defe-. No, this, this just was two teams who are fundamentally flawed and it was pretty obvious to the viewer that that was the case. Like, even early on, like, Karevi got a chance into the corner. And I think I'm as fast as him because, oh my god, so slow, so slow. <laughs> and, yeah, and you know what? There was a little bit of effectiveness at the breakdown. Tipperick was playing his usual um, unplayable self. And when you've got Hooper and Pocock on the far side, that's, that's pretty effective as well. And funny, because with Jack Dempsey at six, you're basically playing three open sides for Australia. That's why Wales couldn't do anything with the ball. And it, again, on the same side, it's why Australia had no scrum, because there's no one actually providing the power. It's just three Lucys hung on the back of five guys trying to scrummage. Yeah, it was just so poor. It got demolished and just gave away penalty after penalty after penalty. And if Halfpenny brought his kicking boots, Australia would have, you know, lost by more. But both of these teams were guilty of playing extremely lateral. It, it, it reminded me of watching that Wales team where it was just like, give Mike Phillips to Jamie Roberts, smash. And now to somebody else, smash. And now to Jamie Roberts, smash. It was just dull stuff. I mean, three three all at half time is not going to win any major television viewing awards. No, and like any game that's played effectively between the two 22s. And you know what? Credit to Wales in the second half. They pulled it together, they ground out the win, and they got the result that they wanted. They scored two more penalties. They barely did as well, because Halfpenny only got them in the lead on 68 minutes, and then Bigger, with three minutes on the clock, steps up and dings over the points. Like, seriously, that is just poor. On the plus side, if anybody was stuck in the bar at halftime and made it back 25 minutes late, then uh, they wouldn't have missed much. Well, for those who enjoy attacking rugby, USA hosted some more in San Sebastian. They did, but for all of the try scoring that was here, um, and 30 points to 29 means a lot of tries, it was a scrappy old game, and neither team really looked up to the standard from a defensive perspective. Like There were some very, very silly errors, Park. It was really scrappy, but USA won't really mind, because you know, they got the win at the end of it. They just showed that physicality, their athleticism. It's the things that we now are starting to associate with American rugby. Like They are strong and fast it's just getting that structures around their game to really round them out as a team and while the first try they conceded to Samoa was just a really really good bit of forward play the second and third tries were systems failures in defences the third was almost a carbon copy of the second as well it was just breaks down the right hand side really good offloading but where was the US defence in backfield where was the tracking because they shouldn't have been able to breach that defensive line so easily. And that's just not being organised. And Samora fell foul to that as well. Like two tries directly from kickoffs. Yeah, it was it was pretty incompetent stuff, to be honest. Like the first one was their kickoff and USA box kicked. Nobody grabbed the ball. And then the USA flanker just picked it up and ran the length of the pitch. Try. And then the second one was off a US restart. And they just threw some nonsense pass and Cam Dolan intercepts it and runs over from 15 metres out. And the US restart went, anything they can do, we can do as well. Yeah, massive fluff of their lines on the restart in the second half. Like, literally straight in, first action of the second half, they mess up the restart and Samoa just wander in. But Cam Dolan scored a second try with an intercept on 69 minutes, and the US got in front with a conversion, and they seemed to kind of eke it out from there. Yeah, Samoa got one more penalty back, but then the out-half for the USA got a penalty kick with 
like zero minutes left on the clock and absolutely drained it to, to get a win over Samoa. And that's actually the first time the US have beaten Samoa as well. So so a bit of a significant victory. It is a big win and it's significant as well. Like USA are on the rise, a really big market for world rugby to tap into as well. This is it. And you know, the US are actually unbeaten in international rugby in 2018. Uh, hopefully Ireland will be putting an end to that in a couple of weeks time. But they're certainly coming from strength to strength. And I guess another team who was hoping to go from strength to strength this week is Ireland, who were hosting Argentina. 28 points to 17. Solid result, but probably not what we were hoping for. It definitely wasn't the performance we were hoping for. We started really slow, and across the 80 minutes, our accuracy was just off. I think people were slightly ahead of the ball, slightly behind the ball, not running onto the ball. You know, those small little things that we excel at. We just weren't hitting the marks properly. No, and I guess when you talk about how a team is set up, I think losing Henshaw in the warm-up can't have helped. But to be fair to Will Addison, who came in, he looks to be a decent player and had a good outing. Yeah, he looks very good going forward. I'd question some of his defence at times. Yeah, there was a number of occasions where the Argentinian centres just ran through us like we were a pair of swinging doors. It was really, really alarming how easily they were able to break the line. We're just lucky that we didn't pay for it more, really. Um, But we looked good, actually, in certain areas. You know, our scrum was very on top, and it's where we got our first try. Yeah, like, that scrum was dominant from kind of minute zero to 80, and Marmion was kind of quickest to react when the ball popped out, almost before any of the Argentinian loose forwards realised what was going on, which was nice. It was really good, from my perspective, to see him score the first try on what was actually a fairly good performance. Luke McGrath came on later on when he rolled his ankle, and there wasn't really a drop-off. So the discussion about the backup nine to Murray will continue. Yeah, it's funny though, because this was one of these occasions where the value of Connor Murray is highlighted by his absence. Jonathan Sexton, for me, had an unusually poor game. Not necessarily his kicking, that was fine, but just his overall creativity and game management was was pretty poor. And the difference with Connor Murray being there is he can step in and shoulder some of that burden. Marmion and Luke McGrath, neither of those guys are capable of doing that at the moment. No, and like we didn't box kick as much with Marmion on the field, so that's something he could do more of to improve on that when Murray's not around. Yeah, that or you pick Cooney, who's very good at doing all of those things. But uh, he he's uh, mostly being used to hold tackle bags at the moment. Look, there's just a lot of people around the same level underneath Murray, and it's just what type of players you want. Yeah, and speaking of things that aren't quite at the right level, that first try we conceded was really worrying. We just got caught defending so narrow. Definite shades of Cardiff in 2015 here. I really had a feeling we're going to be in for a long long evening at that point but we weren't thankfully but it's something that Ireland defensively are prone to do every now and again yeah I just think our defensive system has a tendency to be a little bit narrow and when you are good at getting the ball wide quickly and then when the midfield does get stretched punching holes in it like Argentina were a very good matchup for Ireland and they stressed a lot of our systems in a way that was a little bit alarming but it's good it happens now and like we can take those lessons to next week against New Zealand who will be another step up in level again and we would have to just be 100% in all those things and I guess just talking about what we did do well like I thought our back row was very effective um, so unfortunate for Sean O'Brien looks like he's a sustained a broken arm but for me Levy, O'Mahony and Stander is probably our first choice back row anyway Yeah I think Levy and Van der Flyer, a type of player with that work rate just really helps us at the breakdown a lot more than say the carrying of Sean O'Brien especially when you have CJ Stander who can shoulder a lot of that burden Yeah and I tell you what for a centre Bundiaki is a serious ball carrier as well he had a really good game yesterday he was brilliant going forward but his defensive effort was superb as well Yeah like this is like the fourth centre partner he's had now and he's still shines every single time he plays equally shines every time he plays james ryan 
James Ryan does just James Ryan things all the time. He does. And he was in the middle of that engine room of that scrum, which for me was the standout set piece of the game. Our scrum was just completely dominant. And it's great to see one aspect of our set piece so strong, especially when our line out is so poor. And for me, you've got to just look at best throwing. Like they're just being floated yeah, and easily read. Like you didn't need to be able to read what we were doing because the ball was just hanging in the air so long. Uh, you called it. We have to wait until his first performance in green. What are your thoughts, Porik? Are we done with the era of Rory Best? I'm not personally one to call for head, but questions have to be asked about what he brings to the Ireland 15. I think we need to look at picking a hooker who's playing on form at a club and at a national level, and that's just not Rory. I know what you mean, like, and I think Herring and Scannell should really be looking to usurp him very quickly. The other kind of third set piece of the restart was a bit of a shambles as well. We didn't really seem to be able to manage it, and... I don't know whether that was communication or new combinations or what was going on, but I've never seen us so shaky under restarts. No, it looked kind of all of the above. Um, Like the amount of times that a pod would be lifted and just not be in the right place. And then the covering back was nowhere near covering either. So that to me is something that will definitely be fixed in the next seven days. Well, I tell you the one thing I want fixed for next week. I want players taking the ball at speed because if you're not running onto the ball and like Keen Healy for me was the biggest offender here he got the ball every time stood still every time James Ryan appeared to be the only one who knows that you're supposed to run onto a pass and it's not as if they were getting bad ball like the ball from Johnny Sexton Marmion and McGrath when he was on was actually in front and flat for people to run onto just keep passing the ball 10 feet in front of everybody and sprint at it there's your training for the week. You should go down there, take the week off work and just sit there and watch them. <laughs> I'm sure my input will be very much valued. So that brings us to the last game of the weekend, France against South Africa. And another dramatic finish for South Africa, although they came out on the right side of it this time. 29 points to 26. I was unfortunate enough not to see this over the weekend. The scoreline makes it look like it was a good game. Good second half, but after a half an hour it was still 9 all, And then the classic moment from Teddy Thomas, brilliant step unbelievable line break completely stupid decision and throws away a try he actually is starting to look like a stereotype of himself now at this stage i do good i do bad (laughs) he's a bit of a cartoon character all right he and france got lucky because a couple of phases later game garado got over for a try which saran converted and france kind of 16 9 at half time looked like they were going to get this done and then straight into the second half and France take a leaf out of Johnny Sexton's playbook and launch a Gary Owen into the 22 within two minutes of half time it was uh, let's just say the South Africans did not handle it well but look I'm pretty sure South Africans can't take all the credit for being a big shambles given the fact they lost this match from that position no France managed to try and out shambles them and like directly off the restart from their own try nobody put a name on it and the South African winger just runs through and grabs the ball and scores a try no oh absolutely it was mad and to be honest that looked a little bit like it kind of just broke France's brain and Pollard was just chipping away chipping away chipping away but the finish of this game that was the real drama because France had the ball with 30 seconds left to play at a scrum in the South African 22 they concede a penalty South Africa missed touch from the penalty but the French player catches the ball and runs into touch because he thought the game was over. Ref says it wasn't. And it's just like, oh my God, like madness. Several phases later, after several more penalties, South African hooker mauls over for a try and they've beaten him. <laughs> Tell you what, get on YouTube, Horik, and watch the last five minutes of this game. It will be worth your while. 
from the sounds of things anyway, the French won't be happy with that finish. Ah, uh, no. No, they won't. And I'm sure there'll be lots of complaining in Mid Olympic this week, but it, they had the opportunity to win this. Like, they had the ball on 78 minutes and they kicked it away aimlessly downfield. They had the ball on 79.30 and they gave away a penalty. They had the ball on 79.59 and gave the ball away stupidly. <laughs> well, there you go. So it wasn't for lack of opportunities to win this game that France lost it. And if you saw Jacques Brunel on the touchline after the game, he looked a broken man. I'd say there's going to be a rake of changes to that French team for next week now. You'd think so. And, you know, they've got Argentina, so there'll be a bit of an opportunity to be a bit experimental, maybe. But look, they weren't the only French team to get beaten this weekend. The French women hosted New Zealand and got beaten 14-0. Yeah, getting nilled at home is never a good look. But it's probably still a better look than the other women's game this weekend. England 57, USA 5. (laughs) That's a margin and a half. Like, you're going into cricket score territory there. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, good that there was a couple of games in the women's fixtures this weekend. Some more next weekend, obviously, with the Irish team in action. And we'll give you a quick look at what those games are going to look like. But before we do, Porrick, it's time, as always, for the second row top performer and clown of the round. And you've picked our top performer. I have. Given the results this weekend, I think it had to come from the Scotland game. Absolutely demolished Fiji. And as I said earlier, Finn Russell was just at the heart of everything they were doing well. He is on electric form this season at club level and looks no different at international. Yeah, he just was a player above everyone on the pitch and well deserving of that call. Yeah, and it's funny because we talked last week about how Adam Hastings is good but just doesn't quite have that organisational skill set yet. Russell absolutely does and Hastings will get there but right now there is only one man with his name on that Scotland 10 jersey. It's uh, it's pretty special. Yeah, he really is a special talent and speaking of special talents, I've picked our second row clown the round and I've gone for Lee Halfpenny, the usual metronome, the guarantee, the banker from the boot. The only reason he's on the pitch is to kick penalties at this stage and he missed so many, yeah. so many penalties. Like, I just love that one point, the camera's on him after he missed the penalty. He's just there shaking his head going, what's going on? <laughs> he obviously didn't get out of the right side. Maybe he put his boots on the wrong feet or something. He was uncharacteristically poor. I'll give him that. Yeah, it was just, it wasn't a day him or the Welsh team will want to relive anytime soon. Or any fan or anyone who likes rugby. Or <laughs> I think you're probably giving clown of the round to the fixture as much as to Lee Halfpenny. He's just getting the brunt of your rage. Yeah, I think everyone should just forget that match ever existed. Well, luckily we have a full slate of internationals next weekend to help us forget. First off, Italy against Australia and Conor O'Shea will want this bad. As much as the Georgia match was important to Italy... This is now where they can make a statement of what he's trying to do. And a year out from the World Cup, that is needed. Yep. Second up is Wales against Tonga. Presumably that should be a win for Wales. I don't know. Hopefully that should be a win for Wales. And then England against Japan. So, England? Yeah, they should just have a bit too much for that Japan team. But if they still can't make a try from a backline move against Japan, there's issues in that England team. Yeah, I mean, the only try the England backs were involved in was when they helped to maul over the uh, the first try. Um, then later in the day next Saturday Scotland against South Africa that should be a belter shouldn't it? That should be a good game the bruising hard hitting South Africa versus Scotland who are a very tight tidy team with that flair added in Yeah Stuart Hogg back in the team as well who looked really good and then the one that everyone is going to be watching Ireland against New Zealand The blockbuster affair I am saying absolutely nothing for fear of recrimination and (laughs) murder Me either It'll be a good game 
that's it it'll be an immense game if anyone wants to sponsor the second row to go to this game please call us on <laughs> <laughs> France against Argentina kicking off the last game of the day that'll be an interesting game like two teams that are in very different form at the moment and you know what both teams looking for their first result in November so at least we'll have one of them having won a game after this unless they draw <laughs> true also next weekend there are a few women's international fixtures and on Saturday France hosts New Zealand yeah a rematch of this week's effort and Hopefully the Blues can do a little bit better than getting nilled at home. And then the following day, Ireland are hosting the USA. Yeah, really looking forward to that game. And you've got England against Canada kicking off around the same time as well. Anybody who is in Dublin, get yourself to Donnybrook. It's worth getting out and having a look and uh, seeing if we can put one over on the US. And after the US's loss to England this weekend, they will be coming out all guns a-blazing. Yeah, for sure. And particularly given that Ireland have England the week after, they'll want to test themselves against the US and just get those levels set. That's it. And that's it from us as well. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss how this round of international fixtures went and whether there's a new greatest team in the world. Well, maybe not number one, but we'll know who the best is anyway. We love hearing from you guys. So please do get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter, where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. And get in touch quickly if you have match tickets. Wink, wink. (laughs) So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care, everyone.